Well, I'm curious, uh, where were you on January 2nd, 2008? January 2nd, 2008. It was, uh, it was a Wednesday that year. Uh, Mizzou had just won the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the New England Patriots had just become the first team uh, to go 16-0 in the regular season. And uh, about a week before, Queen Elizabeth II became the longest reigning English monarch. See, these are uh, just a few things that were going on about 16 years ago. And, uh, and I know that some of you weren't alive back then. I know that uh, some of you weren't living in St. Louis, but if you were living in St. Louis, uh, here's one thing that might jog your memory about what was going on in this city uh, at the time. It's a headline from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And the headline goes like this, let the detours begin. Yeah, I got some yeses. Wednesday, January 2nd, 2008. This is the first day that the Missouri Department of Transportation closed down a five-mile stretch of I-64, although if you're from St. Louis, you probably call it 40. Uh, now, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but the promise of this project was that every valley would be raised up, every mountain would be made low, and, uh, and that the rough places would finally be leveled. Now, I wasn't living in St. Louis uh, when this project got started, uh, but I can certainly understand why it did. You see, at the time, uh, I-64, 40 was getting pretty old. Uh, some of its uh, roadways were built as far back as the 1930s, and of the 29 bridges that were rebuilt, half of them Half of them were going to be closed if nothing was done. And the plan was, uh, was pretty innovative. You see, normally when you, uh, when you work on a highway, you close one lane at a time. But if they'd done that, uh, the project would have taken like eight to 10 years. The budget would have been way more than it was. And so what they did is they decided to close all the lanes at once. The promise was, we will reopen the road in two years. And actually managed to do it. And I said, I wasn't living here when this project was completed, but I, I was, uh, when it got started, I was living here when it got completed. I moved to St. Louis about five months earlier uh, to start seminary. And uh, during that time, the construction on 40 was a real nuisance. Now, part of that nuisance was uh, it took a little bit longer uh, to make the journey from Clayton all the way up to Chicago to go see my parents. But the bigger nuisance uh, was that it almost doubled the amount of time it took to get from the seminary to my fieldwork church in South County. And yet all the while, I could see this construction happening. promise of this, this new roadway that when it opened would actually take me where I was going. I bring all of this up uh, because uh, there is a highway that is promised in today's reading. I like to call this highway uh, the comfort highway, but there's one critical difference uh, between the highway that we discover in today's reading and the highway that I've been talking about here in St. Louis. And that difference is this. When 40 was under construction, everyone could see it. 
You see, the project might have taken longer than everyone expected. The project might have gone over budget, but everyone could see that this highway was being built and that eventually you'd get to use it. You see, this, this isn't the case with the highway that we hear about in today's reading. I mean, everyone knows that they need a highway. Everyone's hoping it's going to happen, but the people who first hear this reading, they have a whole bunch of reasons to believe maybe it's never going to happen. You see, it's that little uh, nugget of a thought in mind uh, that we turn our attention to today's reading from the book of Isaiah. And uh, the first thing I want to say is that even though today's reading comes 14 chapters Earlier than last week's reading, it actually addresses a situation that comes later. Now, uh, as I said last week, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he lives about 700 years before uh, the birth of Jesus. And he lives during this time of great desperation. That's because God's people are divided. The northern ten tribes of Israel seceded from the south about 200 years uh, before Isaiah shows up on the scene. And, And the situation that last week's reading addresses is that the superpower of the day, a place called Assyria, has just conquered this northern kingdom. And now they're threatening the southern kingdom, a place called Judah. You see, it's, uh, it's in the midst of all of this that last week we learned that Isaiah offers a prayer of lament. Last week we, we meditated on this prayer, uh, what it meant for the people in Isaiah's day, and also what it means for us. You see, the thing I didn't tell you last week is that uh, God actually answers this prayer. God's people cry out to him, and uh, the Assyrians do not conquer Jerusalem. That's because God is compassionate. God is faithful. But you see, there's, uh, there's still this problem. This problem has to do with God's people. And that's uh, because even though God is compassionate, even though God is faithful, his people aren't. And so as uh, one commentator writes, he, he describes how bad the situation is. He says, uh, the ironic twist about Israel's history is that uh, you have these liberated slaves from Egypt. That's what God's people are. They're liberated slaves who were living in Egypt. God brought them out. The ironic twist is that they begin to enslave each other and they become the oppressors in the promised land. So that's when everything begins to fall apart. And this commentator goes on to describe exactly how bad the situation was in Isaiah's day. He writes, uh, Israel sinned, forgot, rebelled, craved wickedness, became jealous, worshipped other gods, despised the promised land, murmured, provoked God to anger, mixed with the nation, sacrificed their children. Can you imagine they were sacrificing their children? And they played the harlot. You see, God is compassionate, God is faithful, uh, but his people aren't. And the final verdict comes about 115 years after last week's reading. A new superpower uh, enters the world stage. They're called the Babylonians, and they attack Jerusalem. And this time, God doesn't stop them. 
I've made you my people. So you can kind of hear him saying in the background. But if you don't want to be my people, I won't treat you any differently than anyone else. And so Babylon conquers Jerusalem. They, they burn the city, they, they plunder the temple, and then they go and find the king of Jerusalem, and, and they kill his two sons in front of him and then pluck out his eyes, so that will be the last thing that he ever sees. I mean, they humiliate God's people. And then they cart them off into exile to this place called Babylon. And it's one of the darkest days that God's people ever experience. Now, last week I told you the story of the great Christian writer and apologist, G.K. Chesterton. A little over 100 years ago, uh, the editor of a British newspaper invited its readers to respond to a question, what's wrong with the world today? Well, you just heard some of the things that were wrong in Isaiah's day, and last week we meditated on some of the things that are wrong in ours. See, that's also when I told you that G.K. Chesterton decided to answer this question. A little over 100 years ago, he writes to the editor of this newspaper, what's wrong with the world today? I am. Faithfully yours, G.K. Chesterton. And after I shared this quote, I said that any lament we make uh, eventually leads back to this place because we're broken and we're sinful and we're part of the problem too. And, and we need to know about the people that Isaiah's writing to in today's reading is that unlike the people that we met last week, the people he's writing to 115, 200 years later, they actually know this. They know that just like G.K. Chesterton, they're broken and they're sinful and they're part of the problem too. I mean, that's why they're in exile. And so the question they're wondering is, is God done with us? That was uh, about three years into my first call that uh, I helped start a brand new service uh, at my former congregation. And that service, uh, we, we called it a blue Christmas service. And uh, has anyone ever heard of a service like that before? I may have mentioned it a time or two before. All right. Um, you see, the idea is that, uh, that people really struggle around the holidays, around Christmas. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, because uh, if you've lost a loved one or a job or a relationship or your health, Christmas can be kind of difficult. You know, whether that's something that happened today or yesterday or sometime in the past, uh, it makes it really hard at times to hear the good news of Jesus, that God isn't done with us, without acknowledging that stuff first. And so three years ago, uh, in my first call, uh, we started offering this thing called a Blue Christmas service. You know, I thought I knew what we were doing. I mean, uh, we invited everyone who'd, uh, who'd had a loved one pass away in the previous year. And uh, we invited everyone who'd been experiencing some sort of trouble with their health. And then we invited everyone else we could think of. I mean, we made an announcement in church. We printed flyers. We even reached out to support groups in the area. And so I thought that we knew what we were doing. Uh, but there were two things that really surprised me about the first time that we offered uh, a Blue Christmas service. 
The first thing was this. I was surprised how few people actually showed up at the beginning of the service. See, there were a handful of, of people in our sanctuary, and we had a big sanctuary, kind of like Messiah's, and so you really, really felt it. But then this funny thing happened. As, uh, as the service ticked on, people kept trickling in. Two minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes in. And people weren't coming in large groups. Uh, they were coming, you know, one by one and, and, and occasionally in pairs. And by the end of the service, what had started as like a handful of people was well over 50 people. You see, that's not the thing that surprised me the most. You see, that happened after the service. Uh, I was speaking with this woman out in our lobby. And, 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 uh, and what I learned is that she didn't come to our service because she lost a loved one. And she didn't come to our service uh, because she lost her job. She came to our service because she had done something that she couldn't undo. Yeah, I'm sure that we can all think about stuff like this in our own lives. Stuff that, uh, that once you do it, it can't be undone. Stuff that once you see it, it can't be unseen. Stuff that once you say it, it can't be unsaid. Well, this woman, uh, she had, had done something like this, and uh, she wasn't really sure what was going to happen next. You know, you, you have these moments as a pastor when you get the sense that something is, is really connecting for someone. I don't know all the details in this woman's story, uh, but as I'm talking to her in our library, uh, lobby, I, I could tell that, uh, that she was having a moment like this. I could tell because in a moment of, uh, of really honest pain, she looks at me and says, I'm glad God forgives even the stuff we can't undo. Maybe this, uh, this seems really obvious, but, uh, but if you've ever been in a situation like this, and I'm sure we all have, you can understand why someone might say something like this. Why they might even wonder. You see, that's the situation that we, uh, we find God's people in in, in today's reading. Uh, because they're broken, they're sinful, they're part of the problem too. And, and they know this. And so now the question that remains, the only one that's left is, is God done with us? And what I love about this passage is, uh, is that even Isaiah, the guy who is, is recording these words for us, even Isaiah wrestles with this question because when God tells him to announce this message to his people, a message of comfort, a message of a, a highway that's going to bring them home, Isaiah asks the Lord, what shall I cry? What shall I announce? I mean, even to him, it seems too good to be true because he knows that God's people deserve nothing. And I, I just love how God responds. You see, uh, this is the part of the reading where he compares his people uh, to grass and flowers. And, you know, he says that the grass withers and the flowers I mean, he acknowledges that we're broken and sinful. That we're going to do stuff that we can't undo. 
And that's when he acknowledges that just because there's stuff like this in our life, it's not the reason he responds. You see, God doesn't respond because we can undo all of the stuff that we shouldn't have done. God responds because he's faithful. That's what he tells Isaiah. The grass withers and the flowers fall. It happens. He knows it. It's not the reason he responds. He responds because he's faithful. The word of our God stands forever. See, that word says that our God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. He, he loves them. He loves you. And, and even when you don't show it, even when you do stuff that you shouldn't do, when you cry out to him, God forgives and God responds. Now, at the beginning of our sermon, I described what it was like to watch Highway 40 uh, get rebuilt about 16 years ago. Uh, that even while it was under construction, you could see the promise. And I said that's the critical difference between that project and the construction project uh, that's mentioned in today's reading. You see, uh, God's people living in exile, they couldn't see the highway being built. All they had was God's word. You know, in one sense, uh, we are very different uh, from the people in Isaiah's day because God actually gives us something to see. He sends us his son. And on a cross uh, just outside of Jerusalem, he shows us that he's faithful as he gives his life for all the stuff that we can't undo. You know, the story goes that three days later, God raises him to life and, and then he promises that Jesus' future will be your future too. That one day he's going to raise you from the dead and, and that you're going to live with him forever in a paradise that will never end. But you see, uh, this is not, uh, this is how uh, we're also not so different from the people in Isaiah's day. Because you see, we find ourselves waiting for a promise that maybe sometimes seems too good to be true. And yet the hope we have on this second Sunday in Advent is that this promise just like the promise that God made to Isaiah is actually going to happen. And it's not going to happen because of anything we do. It's going to happen because our God is faithful. He responds to his people. He, he loves them. He loves you. Even when you don't show it. And even when you do stuff that can't be undone. And so that, that is the hope that we have. That God is faithful. That his word endures forever. And that word gives us hope both this day and every day as we wait for him to come again. In the name of Jesus, amen.